Gospels, if you will, to the 23rd Psalm, or Psalm 23. It's probably, actually Alex had mentioned this uh, this morning about how popular this passage is. And it, it probably is one of the most popular passages in all of Scripture. You see it hung in uh, people's homes. You sort of see it embroidered on certain things. You'll see this uh, hung up in funeral homes. You'll, see it, you'll hear it mentioned at funerals. You'll see it in cards of encouragement, cards of sympathy, so on and so forth. But I think that we just, in reading it, we just scratch the surface. There is a depth and a richness that is here that I'm hoping that we can uncover this morning as we go through it together. I want to read it, and then I want to go back through it line by line, and let's study it together. It says, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It says, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that lives would be convicted this morning, that lives would be changed, that Jesus would be glorified and elevated, that his name would be made famous this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So David says, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Yahweh, he doesn't know that, that Jesus is Yahweh, but we do because we have the completed canon, right? So we know that Jesus is Yahweh. So right away, and I want to get this right out of the way, we can, as soon as we start reading this, we can focus on Christ, right? Because, and, and as or has already been read, he is the good shepherd. Hebrews calls him the great shepherd. And so we're going to, when, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, we're automatically going to Christ with this, right? And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And you know that David knows that he is the shepherd of all who would believe, right? All who, and, I, and let's get this out of the way too. He is, Christ is not the shepherd for those that aren't his. We've already seen this, right? He calls his as he was talking about this morning, as Christ calls his sheep, as he, the sheep hear his voice and they follow him out. He don't, they don't hear the voice of the stranger, right? And so for those that would believe, that means that they would repent of their sin and they would turn towards Christ in belief. 
and trust in him and him alone for their salvation. Those are the sheep. And that's who David is referring to here. But he's saying this. He's saying, I know that the Lord is the shepherd of all. But now he's taking it in a personal way. And he's basically saying that I see the Lord's personal love, the Lord's personal mercy in my life, the Lord's personal guidance, the Lord's personal nurturing characteristics that he gives to me, the Lord's personal goodness that he has shown me in the midst of all of that that Mike Pastor Mike had mentioned last week, when you remember, he thought that the Lord had abandoned him, and he had enemies on every side, and in the midst of all of this, this is what he focuses on, the Lord's personal goodness, the Lord's personal protection, all of this in a personal way. See, that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd leads, feeds, and protects the flock. This is the same word, and this has been mentioned before from this pulpit, same word as bishop, same, same word as overseer, same word as pastor, same, same word as elder, all in Scripture. That's what we do as elders. We lead, feed, and protect the flock. Vodi Bakum has a book out that's called Family Shepherd. And for you men, I encourage you to read it. And it's, it's basically giving... Uh, duty to the man as the head of the house to lead their family as a family shepherd, to lead, feed, and protect their family, both in a physical way and in a spiritual way, right? We want to we start there in the homes. And then these shepherds would submit to the shepherds of the church. And then everyone together would submit to the true shepherd, the good shepherd, what Hebrews would call the great shepherd, Jesus, right? I believe that David was a good shepherd as far as the world would be concerned, but he failed. Jesus is the only perfect shepherd. David failed like all of the other shepherds that came before him that tried to lead the nation of Israel. They failed. Jesus did not. I believe that shepherds or shepherding would have been a tough job. Can you imagine staying with the sheep all night? Possibly smelling just like the sheep, right? Day in and day out. And you know that predators come in to steal the sheep away. And they'll kill the sheep. And so the shepherds would be watchmen all night. And intruders would come in, both animal and man, as thieves and robbers to try to steal them away. And the shepherds would have to ward them off. Right? And so I believe that this was a tough job, but a a dirty job as well. But these shepherds were devoted to the flock, and as I believe that David was devoted to his flock, flock also. You remember when King Saul asked David why he thought he could beat Goliath? You remember that David couldn't even fit into 
the armor of King Saul. He was too small in stature. And you remember what David said. He said, when I would tend my father's flock, predators would come in. And I would have to go and rescue the sheep from the mouths of these predators. And he said, sometimes I'd have to slay them. And God gives me the ability to be able to do so. And there's no reason that he wouldn't deliver Goliath in my hands as well. For his honor and for his glory. And we know that that's what happened. And the reason I mention this is because this is one of the characteristics of a shepherd. As, as uh, Pastor Zach had read, a good shepherd, as Jesus said, referring to himself, lays down his life for the sheep. David risked his life for the sheep, as Jesus does for us, for those, and you're going to see this common thread as I preach here this morning, for those that would repent and those that would believe, those that would fully trust in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. For those, he died. The one that knew no sin became sin for, for them. He is our shepherd. As mentioned already, Jesus said a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We know that David risked his life for his sheep. Jesus said his sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Please once again know that Jesus is that great shepherd and we are his sheep. And I believe that David says this to be intimate. Just to, and just think about this. Just think of the most intimate relationship that you can possibly drum up in your mind, whether it's between husband and wife, whether it's between parents and their children, whether it's just a close friend relationship. And I'm not talking about intimacy as though the world would in some sexual way. I'm talking about just a closeness, a bond that is there, right? And for me, I go... To me, it, it, I go right to uh, parental, you know, with our, with our boys, you know, like and, and we can all relate for any of us that would have children. Man, we hurt when they hurt, don't we? I mean, when they're, when they're crying, when they're going through things, it'll keep us up at night because of us worrying about what they're worrying about, right? And with things that they're going through and if they're sick and so on and so forth. They're hurt in any way, but when they're joy-filled, we also are joy-filled, right? And there's a bond that is there between the parents and their, their children. I've used this analogy another time. Like, we know their ins and outs. We know what makes them tick, and we know what makes them ticked, right, um, with our children. And I remember when our boys would play football, somebody would come up to us and say, what number's your son? And we're like, I don't know. He never told us. And yet, you look out there, in and amongst all of these people, all wearing helmets. They're all in, in their gear. We can't see their faces. But you ever notice you can tell their walk? You can tell their run? You look at the statue first, and then you're watching in amongst all those people, and you go, oh, there he is. He's numbered so-and-so. Because we know them. Like Jesus knows his sheep. Now, forgive me for this. This is how that I know that I'm not a perfect shepherd because I forget everybody's name, right? And he says he, don't, uh, he knows them all by name. If I met you today, I'd forget you tomorrow probably. 
you know, so forgive me on that, but I try. Then this is, I believe, is what David sees as he's, he's envisioning the relationship with the Lord. You know, I, I think of this fellow that is at work. I work with him every day. And he's a big, he's a biker guy, but he's a brother in Christ. I've hunted with him a few times. I, lo- I love this man, but he is rough around the edges. And he'll tell you this himself. He ends up seeing this. Uh, he, he'll forgive me because he's, he even says it himself. And he said, thankfully, the Lord didn't bless him with boys because he thinks he would be hands-on. That's the way he was raised, and he thinks he would be too rough with them. But the Lord blessed him with two daughters. And they are mid to upper 20s now. And within two weeks of me being there, we're in the tool room, and these are two tooling guys now talking and he starts reminiscing about his daughters. And tears start flowing from his face, and mine too. And we're like, and we start trying to change the subject to football, you know? <laughs> but this is a man's, this is something we can all relate to. The love between a, a mother and father and uh, their children. And he also had, his wife not too long ago, had a surgery. And you could see it all over his face. That's all he cared about. He didn't care about what the workflow, anything else. He just wanted to know what was going to happen with his wife. We can relate, can't we? And as beautiful as all that sounds, I'm going to give you just one more example, and then we'll kind of move on. I want to, this is where I want to hit, who the shepherd is, who we are as sheep, so on and so forth. I remember in high school, I had uh, spinal meningitis. And... I mean, if you guys, if, if you ever had it, I don't wish this upon anybody. I mean, it feels like your head's going to blow off. I mean, the, the spinal fluid ends up, you know, it can't get anywhere. And the pressure builds up, and it feels like you're going out of your gourd, I mean, out of your mind. And my dad had taken me into the hospital, and I'm, I'm there. They didn't know what I had at this time, but it felt like I was going into convulsions. My body was shaking, and I couldn't control it. And my dad, out of character for him, because he grew up in Harlan County, Kentucky, he's tough as nails. But he grabbed my hand, and he was holding it. And just him doing that, I'm like, oh, this might not end well. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking. <laughs> And so I look up at him, and tears are flowing down his face, which is awesome. I've never seen my dad cry. And it just showed the love. Like, even though he wasn't hands-on as far as showing the love, I, I just knew that he loved me. And as beautiful a picture as that sounds, it pales in comparison to Jesus with his sheep. Just know that. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't change who he is. He is still the good shepherd, no matter what, right? It says, I shall not want, is the next line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We know that this doesn't mean he doesn't want him. That's not what that means. It's in with the Lord, as long as I have him, I have all that I need. I'm not left wanting anything. I will hunger and thirst no more. Remember that? 
He provides both in a physical sense and a spiritual sense. Remember Jesus saying, if anyone eats of my flesh, he will never hunger again. He is the bread of life. No man lives by bread alone. You remember Christ quoting that from the Old Testament when Satan tempted him when he was in the, uh, after he had fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights wandering in the desert. He's weak and he is probably starving. And Satan comes and says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And what does Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of the Lord. Remember the woman at the well, if anyone drinks of this water that I give, they will never thirst again. That's, he is all that we need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, both physical and spiritual. Because of David and what he knows about the scriptures and the promises of God, he can rest. You know, a sheep won't lay down if it's hungry or scared. I found this out through my study. So if a sheep is hungry or scared, it won't lay down. And David's saying, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, it takes him to a place where you, you probably have heard before where they talk about impoverished, impoverished nations. And I believe that there's people probably even in the United States, maybe in the Appalachian Mountains or, or wherever, where children, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. And people, and you, like we get hungry, as you guys will probably get hungry as I'm up here preaching this morning, right? And you get those hunger pains going on. Can you imagine eat, not eating for days? And you don't know where that next meal's coming from? And people would say that these, these little children, they can't sleep well. They might not have good drinking water, so on and so forth. They don't know where their next meal's coming from. And then all of a sudden, they'll have this missionary group that'll go there and they'll supply them with food and water, stock their shelves, and these same children sleep like babies because they know that they got that next meal coming to them. David's saying, I'm able to lay down in these pastures. I know where my next meal is coming from. Why? Because Jesus supplies all of our need. It's a beautiful picture. The Lord lavished David with green pastures. We, we know that this green pasture is the nourishment of the word. Right? And David is, is being nourished by the word. He leads me beside still waters. This still goes along with the nourishment and refreshment. Sheep can be skittish, I learned as well. And a good shepherd, they, what they would do is when these sheep would become skittish, see that you got that rapid flowing river or whatnot, and the sheep wouldn't want to go down to get a drink. So a shepherd would go in and they would dam up the river and those floodwaters would come up onto the, the flatland and the sheep would go down in to be able to get a drink of, of water. And then once they were done, after they got their fill, the, the shepherds would go and remove the dam and let the water flow again. This is how they cared for their sheep. They provided for them. I want you to know that sheep are totally 100% dependent upon their shepherd. 
Does that sound familiar? We are totally 100% dependent upon our, our shepherd. Outside of Jesus, we are totally sinful and we are doomed to hell. That seems like hate speech, but it's not when it comes as the truth, right? We, we preach the truth. Sheep have no defense mechanism. And the Bible says that they, have, they are prone to wander. You know what happens when they wander and they have no defense mechanism? They end up in trouble, don't they? The predators can attack. That's why we, when we get members of our flock going out, man, we want to reach out to them. We want to get them back and bring them back into the sheepfold, back into the pen where it's safe, under the shepherd again. That's why we go after people. We want to win them back. Otherwise, the predators attack. You know, it's said that sheep and goats have the same intelligence. But goats can have somewhat of a defense mechanism with their antlers. I remember in, uh, when I used to train gun dogs, if a, you had a gun dog that would chase deer, you're in trouble, right? I mean, sometimes they would have to put them down because it ends up wrecking the dog. So when, before they would get them to that point, there would be um, certain people that you could take your dog to, and they would put them in a pen with a, uh, with a goat or a goat or two. And as these dogs would get close to the goat, the goat would ram them or kick them or bite them, whatever the case may be, and the dogs would be afraid of them, and they wouldn't run deer most of the time. This didn't always happen, right? But uh, most of the time, that's the way that they would cure them. But not so with the sheep. Sheep are defenseless. But I remember going to a petting zoo one time, and I think I've used this analogy before, but I, I went, we went there as a family. And as we walked up, either the sheep or the goat, it's been a long time now, I can't remember, had its head stuck in the fence. And I went there and like kind of concerned me a little bit. So I went and I pressed on the head of the sheep or goat. And as hard as I was press, pressing against it, it was pressing back at me like, <laughs> I want to just stay stuck, right? And I think about this is what the Bible calls sheep or goats. This is us. We're being compared to the intelligence of this animal, right? And so we got a little bit concerned, and I went in, and I talked to the manager, and I said, there's a sheep out there with its head stuck in the fence. She said, yeah, he does that all the time. <laughs> and so it didn't set well with us, and C and I said, we're getting its head unstuck. And so we finally did, and within 10 seconds, it was like, <clears throat> right back again. And I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> and this is us. We sometimes, like, we, the path is already there, and we choose to go a different route. We wander as sheep, and we need prodding to come back, as we're going to talk about here in just a moment. But this is us. The next line says, he restores my soul. When we get our needed nourishment and our needed rest, which is what the word 
and Jesus does for us. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we are getting our nourishment from Jesus, we're in the Word, and we are in Christ, it strengthens us. It restores us. It renews us. Scripture says that we are wasting away on the outside day by day. I mean, uh, we're wasting away on the outside, but we're being renewed day by day by the word. You know how I know that's true? I look in the mirror. I see that I'm wasting away. I try to get out of bed and I've got, I need an oil can. You know, it's, it's, uh, it gets painful and I'm, I'm aging. But inside, I get renewed each and every day by the, by the word of God, by Christ. The next line says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Righteousness. This is the idea of a well-trotted, worn-out path. You know who made it well-trotted and worn out? Jesus did. He went before us. The path is there. I remember when we lived in Imlay City, I took the best route. We lived on five acres, and I I made a a path around our, our place and I tried to make it to where we wouldn't get into the water or we wouldn't get into the rocks. You take the best path and then people could walk that or you could put a stroller on it or whatnot and walk the, the, uh, the trail. I remember taking the boys when they would be giving uh, mom trouble when they, were, uh, when they were little, you know, just kept crying. She'd basically run them out to me like a football, you know, and here, and I would put them, and I would, of course the lawnmower would be not engaged, of course, but I would get them on the riding lawnmower. And I just start doing that path, and within a couple times around, man, they'd be sound asleep. They're on that worn out path. You get over to the left or to the right of that path, man, you're in trouble. But you keep them on that path, they're well rested, right? It's already there for us. As Pastor Kevin had read to us this morning, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, he leads me in paths of righteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? And so when he cleanses us from unrighteousness, we are made then righteous righteous only through Christ. Brother Randy gave me a a book by R.C. Sproul called Saved From What? And he, he mentions in there a verse from Isaiah 1.18. It says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When we repent of our sin, our slate is wiped clean. Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. I have a quote here that I want to read. It's one of these. It's not that one. This is from Charles Spurgeon. It says, now you guys know that that scripture calls our righteousness filthy rags. And this is what he says. It says, while you have a rag of your own, you shall never have Christ. While you have a penny's worth of your own self-righteousness, you shall never have him. But when you are nothing, Christ is yours. When you have nothing of yourself to trust in, 
Jesus Christ in the gospel is your complete Savior. He bids me tell you he has come to seek and to save people just like you. That is beautiful. He does this. Why? It says for his namesake. It's not about us. We reap the benefits. But this is about him. Does this for his namesake. When we follow him, when we walk in obedience to Christ, when we put our trust in him, he is glorified. And then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is a shadow of death. This is not death, but it is as close as you can possibly come to it. But I'll tell you this, that it's even to the point of death changes nothing. Jesus is still the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. This life can be super difficult. It can purely, I'll use Kevin's terms as he says sometimes, suck at times, right? I mean, things that we, we go through, things that we hear, the sicknesses, so on and so forth. Again, it doesn't change who the good shepherd is. You remember David? He had King Saul who wanted him dead. Remember, he lost his best friend in Jonathan. He had a son who wanted him dead. Can you imagine that? Your own son wanted you dead. How do you get through that? How do you get over that? He had two sons die. One which was just a baby. He had another son rape his daughter. Incest within the family. And I don't know when all of this was written, to be honest with you. But some of this has happened already. As he has uh, given this uh, passage here. But he's focusing on the Lord's goodness, the Lord's love, the Lord's mercy, the Lord's guidance, the Lord's provision, the Lord's personal protection in his life. He's not focusing on those things that are around him. We've had some real heartaches in this church. As I look out, man, it's like you get to that point where you can hardly breathe because of the, just the hurt that you've known that people have gone through, losing their Spouses. My heart goes out to you. People that have buried their own sons and daughters. My heart goes out to you. I don't know what to say other than Jesus is with you, man. You know, he, he, he's the one that can comfort you. There's people here that have gone through divorces, sickness, so on and so forth. It's all around us. This is what, I mean, this is what we're left with in because of sin. But the next line says it all. He says, but you are with me. Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
And so in the midst of all of that trial, all of that tribulation, that heartache, that pain, when you can't sleep, he is with you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We move a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. Now they have uh, sheepdogs, right? They'll come and keep those guys in line. Why? Because they're prone to wander. Do you know that a, a sheep don't recognize danger? They recognize fear, but not danger. Meaning if a wolf is getting ready to attack them, they're like, oh, man, right? But a sheep can go off of a mountain, and another sheep will follow. And another one, like, you better get over there because they're all going to follow one another, and they're all going to go to their death, right? So this is sheep for you. Again, not too intelligent, but this is what can happen. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. One was used for uh, a weapon against wild animals that would come in to try to steal the sheep away. Another one to get, I mean, you can use the same one for the weapon against thieves and robbers that would come in. But the other one was used as basically a prod to get back in line. That's their discipline, right? And David's saying, I am thankful for your discipline that you give to me to put me back in line. Otherwise, I'd be that shepherd out in the middle of nowhere where the predators are able to attack. Thank you, Lord, for putting me back in line. That's what he's saying. Now, I beg of you to don't do it. Don't get out there. Stay in Christ. Stay in the flock, please. The enemy wants you to walk away when things are tough. Again, please, just draw close to Jesus. Draw close to him. Focus on his goodness through it all. You guys notice the tone here? I just want to read this to you, how it starts, and then how David turns the tone. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green paths. He leads me beside still water. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He turns now and he's talking directly to the Lord. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. This is a victory banquet going on. Again, this is only available for those that would repent and believe. Turn to Christ for your salvation. Repent of your sin. It's a 180 degree turn. Walk with Christ. And I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about doing lip service to say, I follow Christ and then go live like hell. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about walking in obedience. This is for you, the celebration, victory, banquet. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know if, if any other men, maybe women too in here, had had dreams like when they were younger about being like a superhero. And nobody can touch you in your dream, right? Like you, anybody attacks you, you win. And you're the, because you're the superhero, right? Nobody can defeat you. You are already victorious. And I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, you're already victorious, right? Nobody can touch you. 
If you have Jesus, you've already won. Your residency is in heaven. You're a sojourner here, right? We are members of the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus defeated our biggest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. For those of us, again, that have repented of our sin and believed in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we have defeated Satan, sin, and death as well. We've won. These enemies can't touch us spiritually. Jesus resurrected. Guess what you'll do? You'll resurrect as well, right? You anoint my head with oil. This is what's done for special guests, for royalty. He says, my cup overflows. Do you recognize who the server is here? The king. The royalty is serving the worthless servants. We deserve hell because of our sin, yet he gives us life, an abundant life. Again, for those who would repent and believe. We deserve hell, but the king lavishes us with love, mercy, grace, and goodness. Know how I know that? The next line. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This means even in those trials, even in that heartache and pain that you go through, even to the point of death physically, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He doesn't make mistakes, right? Whatever we're going through takes us closer to him, and we need to be thankful for that. And he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you imagine that? Listen, this takes us all the way into eternity. When we, we're with him. The rest, our final resting place is in Jesus. And we're there for those of us that are, are saved. And we go into eternity that way. It never leaves us. We are in our final resting place in him. We're going to be members of that new heaven and new earth, but we are in him already. Again, we need to be thankful for that. These are things when we're going through trials and tribulations that we can focus on, on the Lord's goodness. We have one. Spurgeon says this as well. This is just awesome. And this is in regard to Psalm 23. He says, this is only made possible through the cross. He's referring to the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Without the gospel, none of what we've read today in regard to the comfort of Psalm 23 can be true. Apart from the gospel, it's not there. And I want you to get, and as you guys have seen for the, for the last few weeks, mainly in regard to um, the other elders as they, as they have preached, we have all said the same, these same components in regard to faith. And it started even before we started this elder series. And I'm going to mention them again right now. 
Because when we talk about the gospel, if anybody was in the evangelism class, it gave us components there that we, we should mention when we're sharing the gospel with others. And they talked about starting off with God and then going to man and then going to Christ and then going to the response. What about God? When he made the heavens and the earth, everything was perfect, right? In his creation, everything was perfect. In the garden with Adam and Eve, everything was perfect. And then the sin came. The serpent enticed and they fell, right? And so this perfect God, he, he can't put up with the sin, right? He has to punish the sin. Man fell and that, that sin has been imputed to us, right? And so therefore we have God and we have man. Now, now what? The wages of sin is death, but the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now you have Jesus. Now what's your response? When you, this morning, you have to ask yourself that. When you hear, when you're thinking about Jesus, are you taking him as Lord and Savior? So when you see him face to face, he is your Lord and Savior? Or when you see him after death, is he gonna, are you going to face your judge? It's one of the two. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Honestly, it doesn't, and I hear this all the time, what people think or whatnot, and I don't believe it. It doesn't matter what you believe. It only matters what is true, right? So the components of faith, knowledge, and knowledge means that we have knowledge of what the gospel is, and that's just what we've already gone through here. Do you have that knowledge of what the gospel is, all of what it says in regard to Jesus and do you assent to it? That means do you give validity to it? Do you believe that it is true? And then do you trust it? In order to trust it, you have to obey his word. You have to obey. That shows your trust, right? And these, are the, these are the things that won't happen if you're apart from Christ. And I'm just going to go down through Psalm 23 and just give the counter of that. You won't be filled or satisfied. Something will always take the place of Christ. If you, uh, I know that Alex has mentioned this quite a few times about certain famous people. They have a lot of money. And yet there's, there's, they're guilt-ridden. There's a void in their life because they don't have Christ. You won't experience peace and rest that is only found in Christ. You won't be renewed or restored through the word because you won't even be reading the word, right? You'll remain guilty of your sin and live in your own self-righteousness. You'll end up fearing what the sin of this world has brought forth, if you haven't already, and that is death. We're all going to face it. Again, when you, when you die, you're facing Jesus as Lord and Savior or as your judge. I want to end with this. This is by R.C. Sproul. It goes along perfect with what we've talked about this morning. Our greatest moment will be when we walk through the door 
and leave this world of tears and sorrow, this valley of death, and enter into the presence of our Lamb. I'm going to pray, and then we can come to the table. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that in this room, Lord, there are ones that are hurting, and Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. I know in a room this size, Father, there's got to be ones that don't know you. And, Father, I pray that you would prick their hearts. Let today be the day of salvation, Lord, for them. Lord, I pray that you would challenge all of our hearts, Lord, when we wallow in our fears and past failures and our sin, Lord, that we can look to Christ, Lord, as our great shepherd things that he has already done for us, Lord, that for those that believe we've already won, and we are so thankful for Jesus, the one that knew no sin became sin for us, for those who would repent and believe. Thank you, Lord, for these brothers and sisters, Lord. We love them. I pray for their families, Lord. I pray for their walks. Keep their paths straight, Father. I pray this all in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.